Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Luminous, and welcome to another episode of the Top Deck Time. This is episode 29, and as promised, this is going to be our epic lore episode of Eternal. Before we get into our main topic, let me quickly introduce my co-host. His name is Rico. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. And for the actual special co-host, <laughs> oh. we got... Uh, Tenadera from formerly the Clock Roach podcast. How are you doing today? I am happy to be back talking to y'all again. Uh, it's been an insane chapter in my life. Uh, lots of lots has changed. Uh, my role in the Eternal community has been rethought, and I I'm really just happy to be talking to you again, uh, Lumi and Rico, and to be talking about these things again because most of my Eternal friends now are long distance and i i miss that fix a little known fact i guess i've never really kind of spoken this publicly but i never really had the aspiration to do a podcast and then i uh listened to the clockwork podcast i really enjoyed the the chemistry that they had i asked to be a guest on one of their episodes and then after i did that i was like hmm time to do my podcast this is really fun <laughs> to do so that that uh, was the beginning of it yeah, Rargonaut and I are very honored by by you saying that, and we miss doing it. Uh, we we still love talking about Eternal, and I, I I enjoy the dynamic that you and Rico have as well. It does sound like you guys really have flowing conversations, and the analysis that you put into your cast, I think, is great. But enough enough uh, bragging about each other. We've got some stuff to dig. Yes, let's get into it. Alright, so today we are going to have the lore episode on Eterno. Tenadora has came up with paragraphs and documents of preparation. <laughs> and these are things from the campaign, uh, from the adventures, from that little blurb of text when you hit up the play button and you know you queue into a rank game. And also from things like card art, card name, and you are all compiling everything and inferring what it will be. You have created a big map of Myria, which is the continent that we're on. And that map will be on topdecktime.wordpress.com. So if you want a visual aid of a beautifully handcrafted map of Myria, it will be there. Also, keep in mind, a highly speculative map. (laughs) I have some disclaimers to throw in there, too, about that, because it is not set in stone. Well, not just a map, right? A lot of things that we're going to be discussing today is going to be speculative, because... For for a lot of them, we don't have official word from DWD. Yeah, so, it, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to start off the the discussion by talking about the five scions. We are introduced to them very early on. And we're going to talk about their motives and, and whatnot. So I know that Rico and I don't really know a lot about the science, but I, I think we could like pick one and talk about what we know about it. So to put you on the spot, Rico, why don't we start with you? And you can talk about any sign you want, and I guess Tenadera will fill up any points that we're missing, or change if we're incorrect about it. Alright, let's start with Roland, actually. Okay, oh, he's an interesting character. Yeah, I think so, because um, like when there was only set one, I always thought that Roland was like, I'm, I'm a little black and white on this, which I, I actually don't like. But in the beginning, I, I was like, okay, Roland, he's one of the, like, the good guys, he's like a paladin, right? 
now that we got set two and he's the the ruler of Argentport, he seems way more cruel. So he definitely made a tra transition in his life that uh, maybe turned him a little bit to the worse. I don't know. I personally thought he was way more like of a nice character when there was only set one. Now I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm more leaning towards uh, categorizing him as a tyrant. So. I don't, I don't really know what's up with that. Maybe you can shed some light on this. Yeah, I see him as a control freak. He started out, it says, with noble ideals in the campaign. You know, he obviously values organization. He values a structured sort of city. And, I mean, clearly a, a successful city. I don't know how much of that was his doing or Kyphus's, but it, it, it sounds like Roland set out to be a good guy. And after Caiaphas' downfall and the entire world becoming embroiled in this strange uh, threat and rebellions um, sort of uh, causing him to become paranoid, it seems like he really laid down the law and made things his way or the highway. Mm -hmm. Right. Just to quickly clarify, because we're throwing out some names, Caiaphas is the guy that used to sit on the eternal throne right and due to certain circumstances which i'm not sure if we're going to talk about today he he's either dead or disappeared i don't think we're 100 <laughs> percent certain on that and all of the five signs are related to kyphus in a, a certain way or two right right roland is his uncle right so roland's a pretty old dude yeah uh, he's also really buff despite being old like you got that that stash yeah he works out one thing that I wanted to connect in this episode, anyway, or in this research, is this the Scion's choice cards with okay. their personality mm -hmm. and their motives. Before we actually get to Roland's choice, I, I just want to quickly mention, Roland is a guy that casts Harsh Rule on his own city. So, you know, after Kyphus went away, there's like this big rebellion. And then I think at a certain point, he just said, to hell with all of this. And then he just Harsh Rule his own city. Just wiped everything. It's like when a Chalice player is like, hmm, I don't really like what this is going. So you blow up your own unit. So that's not very cool. In Roland's choice, the card, he he looks like he's about to get hanged. Or like he's defeated or something. Am I am I crazy here? I, I think he's looking over the destruction after the harsh rule. Mm -hmm. So okay. Ro Roland nukes the Spire District of Arjunport. Uh, to clear out the rebels, and then it's covered up as being um, the as being the peacekeeping forces, uh, and it's covered up as being some sort of great you know, great uh, tragedy. When really it was Roland who destroyed his own people as well. But I see in Roland's choice, he's looking at over these dead paladins, these you know, crumbling buildings all around, and the card itself. I mean, it's five. It's five power. Argentport influence, give a unit plus three plus three, or give all enemy units minus one minus one. And I see Roland in there asking himself the question, do I make myself strong or do I make others weak? But the result is the same. He's the only one standing. He has everyone under control because he is the greatest. We just got pretty deep there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th that's... Uh... That's how I interpret it anyway. Um, I, I think he does regret what he's done, um, but he's covering it up and he's trying to escape that guilt and absorb himself in 
trying to preserve this city the way he wants it. Do you actually know what happened to his arm? No clue. Alright, because uh, he has uh, like a cyborgish arm, um, and there's also a card called Roland's Fist, which is a weapon. I'm kind of curious, but in in Archenbord, was it in Archenbord, like where where do the Tinkers turn humans into Valkyries? Because I figured this arm has to be tinkered by some by those little Tinker apprentices that Lumi loved so much, right? There's some like connection with Roland to Ikaria, right? The the first Valkyrie. Yeah. They are engineering these soldiers to become fighters, and those that deserted Roland's honor guard, I guess, or <laughs> Roland's uh, party. Is now the the rebels, which I don't know if we'll we'll get to later. Which, by the way, like Tenadera has all of these things planned, but Rico and I have no idea what's going to happen, and neither will you. So it, it's a it's a wild ride that we're all embarking onto. <laughs> you know, I've got a bit, um, but also I want to throw out another shout out here. Did either of you guys read that piece of Eternal Fiction uh, by Transcriptase Thirteen? I have not. I have not. He, he posted it to Eternal, um, the subreddit, asking if anyone was in the mood for lore. He wrote a really sweet set of short stories uh, about Roland and Icaria and the Rebellion, uh, with some speculation about Makdo uh, as well. And it was it was just a blast to read, so I just wanted to say props to him. And if you're looking for something else unofficial, at least one person is, is working on it, him or her. I don't know transcript is. I, I would uh, maybe say we that... can link that in the in the article. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess we could ask them for permission uh, first. Sure. If, sure. if we wanted to, but I, I thought it was great. Roland, he's the tyrant of the city, but he also has created his own gang of thugs. Is that correct? Like the cabal is his way to silence people that are not. It's like the SS police. Is that like a bad comparison? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's interesting. See, I, I was under the impression that they were a separate organization that he has sort of allied himself with. He knows right. that they're in Argentport. He works with them for some things. Uh, but maybe on so the surface, like a... he fights against them. So it's like a one-eye-open, one-eye-close kind of situation? Yeah, that's how I would put it. I think Inquisitor Makdo might be like related to that gang of thugs that I'm I'm calling them now. Or Makdo, part of... no, I we don't just know he's so. determined. <laughs> this dude does this dude does not sleep. It seems in <laughs> hunting the people that he's hunting. So I won't give any spoilers if you guys do want to read Transcript Ace's pieces. But Makdo is a, is a Valkyrie. Uh, he's after Icaria. And he, I, I, I would put him as one of Roland's chief officers, sort of like Marshal Ironthorn, who's under Roland's authority and general Azaleo used to before he re he rebelled. And so I would sort of say as his triumvirate now, now uh, two main servants in Makdo and Ironthorn. Cool. Yeah. Essentially, in, in stories, I love finding out about the people. And so in a lot of these scions, we we don't see that much depth. But Roland is one of the ones where there is, there's a bit of backstory. There's a person transforming here. And any more that we get to see on that, any, any more ways to accidentally go deep on a card game story, I love that. 
The next Scion, I think we're going to get a lot less out of uh, her. And I'm going to choose one. She's my favorite Siren, which is Vara, the trueborn daughter of Kyphus, I believe. That's correct, right? Yeah, I believe so. She is the Shadow Scion. And I guess we can't really talk about Vara without talking about Azendo. Oh my god. She went into the Shadowlands for whatever reason. And Azendo is his little buddy in there and helping her. Azendo has wiped Vara's memory, which I don't know why. So I honestly think that Azendo is just the biggest troll out there. Like, <laughs> like everybody he meets is like, oh yeah, come, I help you. And then he f- totally fucks up their lives. Dude, Azendo is, I think, one of the baddies of the, of the game, if, if there is a baddie. I mean, he's one of those people who just want to watch the world burn, right? Like, he's just sowing chaos, in my opinion. Does it matter if we do Horace Traver spoilers here? Oh, yeah. If you are coming into this episode, you're going to get spoiled. So if you haven't played the Horace Traver story, which is excellent, we suggest you to play it first before listening to this. I know you guys did. Uh, I bought Horace Traver for the plot. And that one's on my list to listen to soon because I, I did miss it. Uh, <laughs> cool. But yeah, Zindel, I when I was writing out the character's motives... This guy is so random <laughs> at first because he he's there in the Shadowlands where there's basically no one else civilized and he just offers free mind wipes to anybody who wants it. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems so pointless. I, I'm seeing a lot of threads that are starting to connect with Azindal. So are those free mind wipes, are, are they offered to the strangers as well? Yeah. Because it seems like people are just not really remembering where they came from. Yeah. In the Scions, I'm I'm starting to see hints that they... Uh, obviously, they're people from an ancient family. They're destined to rule. But I think that they are just intrinsically more powerful. You know, sort of like in Marvel, uh, the difference mm. between an Asgardian and a human. Um, you know, just more durable, more resilient to magic and things like that. Uh, and so... Vera Vera just shirks responsibility. She doesn't want to rule. She doesn't want anything to do with the politics. And she runs away to the Shadowlands because that's the safest place to run away to. Right. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of bummed because I think that her encounter with Kyriox got retconned out because it's no longer in the, in the campaign. Uh, but she's looking for the answers to secrets which are never really described. And she runs into Azindel. And he takes her memories away with Ozendel's gift in order to hide her from Roland's, uh, from Roland's forces. Oh, so he's actually, quote-unquote, helping sort by of. wiping her memory. Sort of. I think that it, he's got an ulterior motive there, though, but he's helping her a little bit. But now with the strangers, all of the strangers are this hive mind, and Azindel offers Horus the chance to come and to join them, you know, to be together and also to imprint his his suffering on the world. Uh, and, and people have been speculating about what all the strangers are, are there for. And if they're one of the prevailing theories that I've seen thrown around is that they're all Horuses from parallel universes. Right. What I see them, though, as is, and maybe I'm just caught up in the fact that they're all you know, different ethnicities and stuff, different ages. Maybe that's a big obstacle for me. But I see them as people who 
for one reason or another, willingly or not, uh, have been made into blank slates by Azindel, and they they sort of follow the flow of whoever leads them. And and here, when Horus leads them, they gain his memories, they gain his hive mind, and they all start to think of themselves as you know, like ants in a colony. Uh, they're all working together as a super organism. It's very flavorful if you compare that theory to how the strangers actually work, right? Because when you play a stranger with charge, then everybody on your team gets charged. So right. when you come to Horus imprinting his attributes, or in this case, his memory, to the other strangers, it kind of fits. Azindo, we're questioning why he's doing this. Now, I have a theory, and as I did on my Clockroach podcast lore episode, I made a lot of speculations that are more or less supported, but I, I wanted to ask you guys quickly if you had any guesses as to, you know, if Zendel is working with anyone or why he's doing this, or if, if we just see it as something that will be explained later. So Rico, you think he's a troll, right? <laughs> yeah, but like, if he's, if he's working with somebody, I would think it would have to be the Radiance, because the, like, is it the steward of the past, the, the bodyguard of Kaifas in the campaign? He's He seems pretty excited when the strangers come, so... <laughs> So yeah, maybe maybe it has something to do with uh, he has something to do with the with the radiance and I don't know maybe they hired him to do this. Store of the past is a guy that gets super hyped when the empty throne gets activated. What I thought it was somebody else. Okay, sure looks like him. I think he he does look like the steward of the past. I'm not sure though. I mean, it would kind of work out. I think because like steward of the past is kind of a dick when you play against him. So why wouldn't he be in the story? Plus, he really hoses strangers too. He silences all. His I strangers. mean, every everybody hoses strangers. Okay, so fair. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have anything to say about Azindo motive-wise, apart from that. I feel like he's the Oprah of the story. You know, you get a free mind wipe. You get a free mind wipe. Everybody, <laughs> can lose their seat. Memory. Oh, a free mind wipe. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what do you think that the Azindo is all about? Get ready to have your minds blown. So, I'm seeing this eerie triangulation between Azindo the Tormentor cards, and the Xenonobelisk. Okay, Tormentor. Let me search that. By the way, if you guys don't have your Eternal account open while listening to this, I guess some of you are in car or going to work, but having the art actually really helps a lot because the art itself, as uh, Tenedero will tell us, will, will give a lot of information. It can help, yeah. Some of the artists have a recurring style that shows up whatever medium they um they're doing or whatever product they're producing but oh there are a lot of clues hidden in that art but so anyway the tormentor the big 8 uh charge overwhelm flying radiant who produces spitelings when he's in the void he's produced by whispers in the void and mask of torment and if you look at mask of torment and azindel they both function very similarly they incrementally increase your power whenever a unit dies in Azindel's case, enters the void, uh, or whenever you gain life for Mask of Torment. Now, the the Xenon Obelisk, uh, as revealed by the totem especially, it reacts when the enemy player dies and takes damage. And it, you know, it twitches and it starts to become infused with power. Does and it do that? Yeah, yeah, it does. I thought it did that when you play power, but... I, never I think it really... does that too. But yeah, also upon hitting the enemy player and killing them, uh, it starts huh. to activate. And 
the Xenon cult, as we really see from the Set 2 support, is all about getting people, either abducting them or, you know, killing people, drinking blood, and gaining strength from the forces of death or the void. Oh yeah, Katra. Katra's all about drinking that blood. She's got that goblet. Yeah, exactly. Katra, the Xenon cupbearer, and even mm. things like Cruciation shows what looks like a collection device where they execute someone and all the blood gathers in that, in huh. that pit. Mm-hmm. What I see here is a Zindel possibly not even being human, but I think he's got to be in league with the Radiance, and he's playing into this Xenon gameplay theme of stalling, increasing in power, and then playing the Tormentor. And I think Azindel wants to play the Tormentor. Ooh, so, so do you think Azindel's actually in charge of himself? Or do you think he? it's one of those storylines where there's like a big demon mind-controlling Azindel? Or he wants to summon Azindel? What if he's a manifestation of, of some sort of force like that? I, don't, I wonder. Okay, okay. Yeah. But that's that's also one area where I think that Xenon, even though it hasn't been successful competitively since Killers died, <laughs> it does do a really nice job of tying the flavor in with the gameplay. Um, if you try to build Xenon control with Mask of Torment, you really feel like you're biding your time, you're killing stuff, you're protecting yourself until you can get your boss out. Interesting. While we're here... Do you know anything about Aeon? I, as far as I can tell, he's just in charge of capturing people to be sacrificed to the cult. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, when he pops down and kills your Rakano outlaw on turn three, you feel pretty <laughs> bad about that. I mean, he steals the life of the Rakano outlaw. <laughs> we're generally the people casting the Aeon, so we're pretty hyped when, uh, when that happens. So. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Xenon forever. I was looking at Vera's choice, and this is the only one that I really couldn't figure out. Because if you look closely at the art to Vera's choice, she's like hiding behind a wall while some dudes burn someone to death. And I think she's thinking about stopping them. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like it, right? The choice is, do you go out there, be a hero, or do you just kind of pretend it never happened, right? That's actually a pretty... The last time you kind of tied the card text box to making the choice. Do you, do you see I mean, anything here? Silencing an enemy unit, putting in their, or in their hand, discarded, or put it back in their hand. It mimics the radiance abilities. It it mimics steward of the past and steward of of prophecy, which mm-hmm. makes me think that she this is this is after she's left the shadowlands. She's now a, a vagrant somewhere, possibly saving people you know possibly doing some vigilantism or something but she's learned magic from the radiance and she's learned silence that's cool. that's my guess if we're going yeah. to go very heavy gameplay tie-in so could we go to the actual card vera for one more time yeah. what what is the what is the reason she can like bring people back from life yeah way back when on the cockroach episode i'd pointed out the, oh, it was a big deal back then that she's wearing a Zindel's gift. Oh, it was such a big deal. And I had, I had thought that that gives her the power to pull things from the void. It, it's shown on grasp, uh, Grasping Shadows that Vera is 
activating the gift and then something comes back from the void huh. and so i wouldn't yeah yeah i still still can see even if the gift throws away her memories uh if it might be able to pull something out of the shadow too still mm. okay yeah it's possible that's just her magic too i mean maybe she maybe she's a, a eternal's version of a necromancer but it really does look like the gift is like responsible for the magic happening there it looks like she's pulling some sort of energy out of the the pendant that she's wearing yeah and and even her voice quote uh the voice quotes are a really subtle nice way to get uh some more characterization in there you'll do you'll do yeah I'm, like I'm who do i need who do i need to serve me now but also the i'm not done with you yet that that sounds really brutal, right? So, okay, I killed you, but, like, that doesn't mean that we're finished here. Sounds villainous. It does. Yeah. She could be a good anti-hero. I could see that. Right now we're kind of jumping all over the place, but can we jump back to the stranger one more time? One of the biggest thing about the strangers is that on their face they have the stranger's mark, right? Which is this yep. purple yep, yep. clown face paint that they have on it. It's purple, and Azindo also has a purple mark on his head. Is is that just a sign of Azindo, like, he's the boss of the strangers? Like, he's imparting his mark slash magic on them? Or do you think it's just... I, I think it's too big of a coincidence, right? Do all of them just have a purple's mark? It is highly coincidental. Purple is the, the shadow color. I mean, it shows up on the lamps in Arjunport near the Cabal. <laughs> It shows up on, on the Umbrin, the Radiant's bodies, and, and their magic, too. And so I could see it as just being void magic or shadow magic uh, coming out in Azindel. It might also be, you know how the Radiant's have that, those gems on their foreheads, and Azindel's stripe ends right where the gem would be. And so that I could see it as being a, a stranger mark uh, sort of thing, too. Maybe he was... Maybe he was the first one to get mind wiped and turned around for a new purpose. But maybe it's also due to his service of the Radiance. The Strangest Mark is is like a a crescent moon though. And for a single it's just a, like a straight stripe, so I'm not I'm not sure that, that theory holds. The question is, does the moon have more faces like oh. or, or is it always oh. the crescent moon style? Okay, I, I see you. I oh see my you. Set three, just watch. It's going to be like a full moon. <laughs> well, let's jump to Lumi's actual favorite card because he liked when he said Vera is his favorite. Let's go to Caleb. Yes. All right, so I've been building around Caleb. So I recently actually went back to play the campaign for a new player episode. And and Caleb sounds to me like like the Jon Snow of personality of yeah. Eterno. He knows very little, but he acts like he's the, the top dog. You know nothing, Caleb. So this is the bastard child, much like Jon Snow of Kyphus. That's why he's called the Uncrowned Prince. At least in the campaign, I remember he's out there trying to find something, but I don't know exactly what. Do we know his mother? This is a straight rip from Jon Snow, I'm just saying. Yeah, it's fine. For character motives on my document, all I had for Caleb for the longest time was, who's my mom? It's pretty much all that drove him. Now in set two, though, we see him trying to, I think, find some peace. He's meditating. He's he's Skycrag now. And so his his Caleb's choice is the question of whether he's just going to continue smash, smash, smashing his way 
to look for his mom, you know, beating up random people in the Praxis Arcanum, trying to find out who she is, or if he's going to learn magic, start to become the, perhaps the fated mage that he was supposed to be. Other than that, Caleb's actually surprisingly mysterious. There's got to be something more to him, but we haven't really seen much besides the violence. Uh, yeah, does he hold it, like any grudge against Roland, or does he like want to rule? About what what are his intentions uh, with the other science? Is, is there maybe anything there that we know? He and Roland are clashing, and he and Vera don't seem to talk much. Uh, apparently, not a close brother and sister. And if anything, I could see him maybe actually connecting with Island, mm-hmm. his stepmom. Whether or not they were ever close is something we will never know for sure. But if they're both dipping primal, maybe maybe he's actually going to learn some things from her and maybe start to take on some of her opinions of Roland, too. It seems like Caleb has the least kind of branching storyline with the other characters. Yeah. He's just kind of out there on his own. So we definitely would need more material from DWD. And also we don't have a lot of cards that refer to Caleb. Mm-mm. Or any part of organization that he's like part of or leads. Of note, he's on Obliterate. Yes, grasping at shadows and harsh rule. Those are all five power rares since that one that reference. Oh. oh my gosh, you're totally right. I'd never noticed that. Uh, so what's the time one actually? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Killer snake <laughs> formation. Um, nah, Reliquary no. raider. Maybe snake Relic formation raider. would be really interesting, uh-huh. actually. If that was, was that... what Talir ended up doing, that'd be strange. Yeah. No, Talir is about learning stuff. She's not about exploring. Yeah, no, she, and she's nowhere on the on the artwork of Striking Snake's formation, right? Talir's choice is all about sending out explorers, though. Ooh. There you go. Sending out and possibly arming explorers. If she sees some reason to fight, maybe... Maybe striking snake formation is that. Yeah, let's actually talk about Talera because I think Caleb doesn't have too much. Yeah, so Talera, she's the the nerd, right of of the family. She's the sister, I believe, of Kaifus. She's so cool. Uh, she was, yep, sister of Kaifus, and she assumes he's dead. Her mission right now is to find out who killed him, and also to learn about the strangers, and meanwhile to also figure out how to build sentinels again. So are, are Sentinels, like, uh, long-lost art? Like, have Sentinels been built before and the ones we see now, like the Sandstorm Titan, the Vacant Sentinels, and what, all the, the Pillar of Amar, are those all, like, cards that they, like, they are leftovers of a time where where people knew how to do this? Exactly. They're, they're relics of previous civilization. Okay. It seems like there's some sort of Either there's an organization or a natural phenomenon which is reawakening them. Uh, we just got in Horace Traver, Waker of Ancients. Mm-hmm. Seems to be someone sent out to find sentinels. And in Moment of Creation, we see Talir building them uh, by infusing them with magic. Man, I gotta look at art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for Talir. I 
it she seems like she's just the scholarly type you know she goes all around looking for information about the strangers she can time travel and tried to stop horus uh in the campaign but i think right. right now she's probably got the biggest military force outside of roland and that is the sentinels and the mages of the praxis arcanum that she might be mobilizing to fight the strangers can you actually talk about Talir beyond the fact that DWD could never get her face consistently oh, with her face. right art? Oh, yeah. Her face Ugh. is <laughs> all over the place. But in the campaign in Horace Traver, she had a different hairdo, right? She had white hair, I believe, or parts of white hair. I was like, you go, girl. That's a good look on you. <laughs> and then, I don't know why, I don't know why they didn't like assemble her that as their main look. I didn't know if that was just like some time magic that she was dipping into or maybe that's just a different Talir altogether so that's her traveling back in time to confront Horus and okay. I there's there's no explanation given for her strange appearance but I see it as either her when she was younger and she's reverted to that form when she travels back in time or it's a result of her time travel it's her hair's mm. flying up with magic, her face is marked. It might be that she sends an avatar of herself back in time, or just that the travel itself changes her appearance while she's operating on that magic. So I'm actually really excited to see how she'll look like in set 3 art coming out. And oh, yeah. Sorely to be disappointed by another strange disfiguring of Talir's face. <laughs> it's just going to be a close-up of her face just looking <laughs> at you. Well, looking one eye at you and the other eye at the person next to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, Talir. I, I don't get it. I'm a little bit worried, though. Like, any time time traveling gets introduced into a story, things start to stop making sense at some point. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to avoid time travel when one of our faction is called time, so... Oh, yeah. yeah. Can we go over her choice once more? Yeah, her choice is... It doesn't really show much of the Talir that we used to know. Here she's... She either gets to create two explorers and uh, gain two health, or you deal two damage to enemy player and give all of your units plus two plus O this turn. Mm. Right, so the... The health gaining and exploring part, I think, totally matches her style. Like, that's that's what she does, right? Right. But the other part? Well, that's the weaponizing the explorers, right? Like you kind of mentioned, or suggest. Either it's weaponizing the your explorers or the sentinels. Whatever force she's building, whether that's her people or these giant robots, yeah, I think that the exploration is not just curiosity, it's... It, it's also a search for power. Uh, she's not as tyrannical about it, but she's trying to get something uh, that'll turn the tide of the conflict against the strangers. Ooh, I do want to mention in this art, she's holding a purple magic dagger that reminds me of something that you see out of Xenon art. That is. That dagger just seems evil, right? Yeah. Maybe confiscated or maybe being used. Uh, you know? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really hoping that we get this is one of my predictions for set three. I would love to see dual faction scions representing their new identities Ooh, and giving them some yeah, more yeah, yeah. abilities, yeah. Make me another unplayable Caleb so I will try playing it. No problem. <laughs> the Caleb's gonna be bad, all the others will be constructed stables. 
<laughs> All right, finally, we got Eileen, Queen of the Wilds, which she is the wife of Typhus. And she is from the, you know, the, the outskirts from... This is interesting, right? Cause Eileen... I love her plot. Why don't you go over Eileen more? Because I, I don't know well, what I'm no, what, what were you going to say? It seems like it's a political marriage because she looks very different from Caiaphas in terms of like ethnicity and even her background, right? Like you have you have a guy that's coming from court marrying a, a person from the wilds. It, it feels like it's a political marriage to prevent some sort of conflict. I think you're spot on about that. She she doesn't belong in Argentport. And, you know, after after Caiaphas' disappearance or death, she's looking for answers about that, just like Talir, but she's looking even more to feel belonging. She goes back to her own people, seeking a good old-fashioned home, and instead they they now see her as someone who is everything that they don't want. You know, she's one of the organization, she's one of the civilization, and they kick her out. On her way back, she gets attempted assassination against her. I remember she was saying she didn't know who sent those knives at her, right? Like, whether it's her people or maybe Roland from Argentport. Right. One of the blurbs that you, you get when you queue up is that Eileen is the sister of Vadius, which is the legendary from... I've never seen that blurb. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, that happens. That's yeah, so cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. It says Vadius... Vadius uh, rejects Eileen for essentially betraying her clan by marrying into Caiaphas' oh court. How have I missed that one? I, I don't know if there's a lot of storyline with Vadius or Eileen like, together. There's not. But it, it might be one of those things where once Eileen left, Vadius is now, or perhaps even before she left, Vadius was in charge of the clan. His name's Clanfather, right? And and now Vadius rejects Eileen, which adds to what you're talking about. Of now she doesn't have a home. Yeah. Port's not her home. The clans are not her home. So, just a, a poor loss. So, it is. She's she's looking for some self actualization now. She's looking for a place to call home, and she goes to the Huru. Uh, and I I really love what Island's choice I think is portraying. Um, so she she goes back to Argentport. She gets nearly assassinated, uh, presumably by the Cabal. Whether they were doing it for their own motives or because of Roland, I don't know for sure. But in in Island's choice, and and with that factoring in, I think that she's firmly against Roland. And I can see Island's choice as being her decision now. She's with the Owls. She she has a place. But she still knows that Argentport is dirty. And in Island's Choice, she wonders if she needs to be trying to take them down directly or more sabotaging his plans from a distance and exerting her influence in the surrounding area rather than going back to Argentport and fighting. There used to be more about her besieging Argentport uh, at, with the clans. I don't know if that blurb still runs, but I'm... I'm curious as to whether that is something that was in the past and isn't happening anymore, or if it was in the past and it's inspiring her future action. You know, maybe she's about to channel the Tempest right on top of Roland. Yeah, I mean, that's what I want. That's something I wanted to touch on. She seemed like she calmed down a little bit in set two. Like in set one, she was 
kind of throw in lightning at anything that moved and now yeah and now she's more like okay maybe maybe i'll chill a little bit and think about what i'll do next so i think she made an interesting transition as well i like how both of both of the island's choice choices are Good against they're both against very disruptive <laughs> you know, they're like retaliatory um somebody's attacking uh, you uh, you kill reactive. them someone is trying to mess with your stuff right. you stop them Right, right. And I think she I think she's pointing that at Roland. That's my guess. That is all the scions, which by the way, this is a good time to now do a surprise for Tenedera. This oh. is um something that Rico and I wanted to do just for the sake of this episode and we're, we will need your help to do moving oh forward. My. We wanted to make two theme decks going up against each other. Oh my god representing some of the characters or we wanted to do good versus evil right we, we just take a side but i think as we discussed from all of these scions it's pretty hard to be like roland's bad or roland's good it's it's hard to say right i think in most people's eyes he's bad but some roland fanboys out there be like no he's just you know trying to protect the city right so do you think there is a clear good and bad on these characters i mean azendo seems pretty bad yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that the Azindel and the Radiance are probably the closest thing we're going to get to straight bad, and mm-hmm. from their perspective, it's probably reclaim what we used to own more than let's kill everyone because we don't like them. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would say they're the. So what we wanted you to help us is to give us. What you think are some major characters that we could draw from, either in card art or actually card name? Oh, that'd be super. That we could use, and then we'll just build decks and play them against each other. Like we gotta be on theme. It does not. It doesn't matter if your deck sucks, because you know if you're playing to you're playing Moment of Creation, and that's a terrible card. But we're on theme, right? So <laughs> obviously, I think all the five scions are major characters that that could be part of their theme. Are there any other? Big characters that you think we should look at? There's definitely Icaria. Okay. Uh, and Jack. Although they'd probably be in the same deck, really. Well, you've got Triumphant Stranger's deck builds himself. Tavrod's <laughs> deck builds himself. Uh, builds itself. You do have a Zindel. I think a Zindel belongs in the Radiant deck, though, as we discussed. Otherwise, you could definitely go mono faction and run like Ashara and Iron Thorn into each other. That's alright, but isn't like Ashara from Archenforge also? Yeah, she's one of the Cabal. She's an elf, so she's from the from the Felonwood, yeah. uh, the Direwood. But I think that she's taken up residence in Archenforge. And 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 like Marshall Ironthorn is, uh, I mean, he's a uh, he's an officer of Roland, right? So they are both from Archenforge. So they the decks would kind of draw from the same pool of cards, I'm afraid. Yeah, they would. Um, if they were both going to be Argentport based. I mean, as long as you don't curve Bartholo into Tavrod into me, I'm fine playing against Argentport. <laughs> so it's, it's all good. Okay, so we've discussed most of the Scions and their motives and their choices. So now we'll turn the floor of the show to Tenedera. Now you could talk about whatever the hell that you want. And we'll definitely interject questions here and there. As we've been doing so. Anything that you found recently from your research? Well, we've hit on a lot. 
as far as the primary plot of Eternal. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I really enjoy about big worlds, which is what this is is potentially going to become, uh, is all the little side stories and all the, all the niches where things are hinted at and the story is just not explored. So it makes you kind of salivate looking for more. And one of the things that I noticed is that somewhere there is there's a fighting ring going on. There's a coliseum. Um, you have Grinva, Judge of Battles. You have Victor's Cry. You have Relentless Gorehorn. Like, I can only assume this is somewhere in Arjunport in the slums, but it's it's centered around minotaurs in a coliseum. Just oh. beating each other bloody. So it's Grimva and what? which two other cards? Uh, Victor's Cry and Relentless Victor. Gorehorn show it all. Right, and Victor's Cry there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in Victor's Cry, it, it I was looking at the art for a while and trying to figure out who this Minotaur had just savaged. And it, it looks a lot like, you know, Crown Watch armor. It looks mm -hmm. like paladins, which makes me wonder if the Minotaurs, which are allied, which are grouped in four factions right now, even if there's just one in fire, there are some in time, some in shadow, and some in justice, well, all in base justice. It makes me wonder if they're also acting sort of in their own interests within Arjunport here. I totally got a very different read out of Victor's Cry. You know all that red stuff that was coming down from there? I thought that was confetti. I thought he just like, you know, I thought oh, that was no. like a Colosseum <laughs> battle. You know, like some, some rich, poor folk sent, you know, a whole bunch of humans against the Minotaur. And Minotaur, like, you know, in those slave stories, survived. And they're throwing confetti. That's blood. <laughs> That's their blood. <laughs> I totally, yeah, yeah, I totally got a different story from oh, the story. I'm like, now we talk about it. It's like, oh, that that's not confetti. That's just people dying. Yeah, it's absolutely blood. Um, so, like this this minotaur on Victor's cry, right? He seems like a slave. Uh, he lo he's looking like a slave to me. Yeah. Uh, right. One one question I had was because there are minotaurs that are. That are wearing armor, like for example, Copperhole Shieldman. That dude doesn't look like a slave. He looks like a well-armed soldier, right? And so does Treasury Guard and Copperhole Paladin. So I, I would assume that not all Minotaurs are slaves. Like Auric Bully, he's he's wearing armor and he's in, like he he's looking like he's guarding like a door in Archonport, right? Are the Minotaurs just like another race, just living in Myria and like they they just coexist, or do like do the Minotaurs have? Like their own goal, like the a goal for their for their race or or a goal that like some of them at least try to follow. The Minotaurs really seem to be the aristocracy, uh, at least in Argentport. They they control the money, they control the banks. Uh, the name Auric comes from Aurum, uh, which means gold. Mm -hmm. like they're all about it. But then you do see this brutal nature uh, that they have still coming out. Uh, and it makes me wonder if they're slaves like traditional, you know, Roman gladiators were, or maybe they do this to get their to get their wildness out. Huh. Maybe, yeah. Maybe they're going in the pit to fight. Uh, and, and I've been thinking about Tavrod, because Tavrod's nuts, just as a card. He buys and sells goods. Uh, but his battle cry is sharpen those horns. And so I can see the Minotaurs gearing up, uh, maybe hoarding wealth. And preparing to either supply 
uh, the side they're on or to launch some kind of independent effort in a war that's brewing between the strangers mm. and Argentport and Praxis and everybody. Obviously, they're all the Minotaur race, but I feel like they all have quite different modus based on what they're doing. So the Paladins are most likely working for Argentport and right. Roland, but you also have cards like the Minotaur Lighthoof, which is right. looking to work on more of the shadier side, like for the Cabal. You know, Cabal Bludgeoner looks like you know he's probably not hanging out with Roland on a daily basis. <laughs> they're really diverse. Yeah, they're very diverse. So I feel like this is just a big race in the world of Miria. And oh yeah, the interrogator seems creepy. Oh yeah, <laughs> like he's. I mean, but the interrogator he might be working for Roland, right? Like he, he he's be. getting answers out of people. That guy too is one of my favorite story story gameplay interactions that was just released. Um, oh, dude, he's beating you up and you're giving him information. You're damn right. I just got it now. He's interrogating oh the person who plays him. <laughs> you know, he's like, this is my favorite part. And he cuts you and you give him more to work with. Oh my god, that's creepy now. Now that you talk. Well, and plus he wants you to, he wants you to serve him. He wants you to make him bigger. Hmm. Yeah, I like it. You know, a lot of people say, you know, they're, they're not in it for the flavor uh, and you don't have to be. You, you definitely don't have to know anything about the story. But the cards that tell their own stories, I think those just enhance gameplay. Sort of no matter who you are. When you when you play a card and it just feels good. Can you can you give me something about the Unseen? Because I definitely need something to justify building an Unseen <laughs> deck. Because they're not good enough yet, but I just love the artwork. And I know like my girlfriend, she she's very much into the art of the Unseen. See, Huru is, like, the coolest thing that no one talks about. I love this whole society. You know, giant owls, wilderness ninjas. So cool. Right? But they haven't played much of a part. One thing that I did see in Horus Traver is that they intercept Horus, it seems. As he and the strangers are traveling about, the owls bring the fight to him, trying to keep the peace. And... In the art of Twin Strike Master, I noticed, she's on top of a castle wall. She's surrounded by heavily armored paladins. It looks like the Huru are a, a people that sort of spreads their influence out and about. They probably know a lot about what's going on. And I would wonder if, you know, Twin Strike Master is, is teaching uh, the paladins of Argentport how to fight. And, huh. you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if those owls, like owls do, are seeing and hearing everything. You know, if, if they're watching this unfold and seeing if they should intervene. So we still got nothing about the Unseen, so this is what you're saying? No, we got nothing. They're, they're all hiding. <laughs> yeah, it bums me out because, you know, Mentor, Mentor is a, it's a mechanic that should be full of it should be full of decision making. It should be an effective thing to do, and it hasn't played out that way so far. Uh, and the unseen are this super cool group, which have done basically nothing in the story so far. I guess another potential clue that something is going on is that we got a big old legendary owl in Nostrix, Lord of Visions, okay. who you know he looks he looks mighty important. His name is Lord of Visions, and He's he's not a strong card, but it seems reasonable to assume that he's a high-ranking member of the Great Parliament. 
and probably that they're that they're keeping an eye on the different warring factions. I'd love to see some owls getting more into the fray of it next time too. For sure, Moelle. Erle. <laughs> Is that a German for owl, right? Actually, it's Eule, Eule, but but if you like, if you pronounce it like like a small a small child or uh, or yeah, <laughs> a slower person might, you might come to this. Eule. Okay, okay, Eule. Otherwise, something neat that I have seen too going on in the background. Uh, very much in the background, like the Unseen, are the Oni. Okay. And set to re released an Oni, Stone Powder Heretic. And he's an Oni with a big old gun. Uh -huh. um, and he's branded a heretic. And this makes me wonder... Now, the the Oni are also a group which has a couple of important members. Aijin in Justice and... Who was it? Oh, he's not important. Never mind. Take that back. He's definitely not important. He's journeyman armorer. Um, <laughs> he's a, a very forgettable card, but he's an Oni uh, out in the desert being a team player when these people are otherwise portrayed as as keeping to themselves out in the wastes, in the wilds, uh, kind of a, a noble, savage sort of trope with a, a few members of their society that are either in the Empire or traveling far and wide. Wait, who are you talking about right now? Oni as a whole or a particular character? Yeah, mainly Oni as a whole. Okay. You even see some on Shadowlands Feaster being eaten alive. <laughs> and Oh, that is an Oni being eaten. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, this this makes me wonder if they are a society which is finding itself out of out of the time period, you know, not able to catch up and they're rejecting the stone powder, uh, which I can only assume is magic gunpowder that comes from shift stone. Like, they're right. rejecting the technological advances in general, but they're going to need to adapt if they're going to survive. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them shifting into some more factions as we go on. Interesting. Yeah, your mentioning of the stone powder ethic is, I think, interesting because all the other Ronins are using primitive weapons, or, I mean just swords and hammers and, and stuff like that and he's the only one right. and he's he's got a like futuristic gun so um <laughs> so that that might be something that the other ronin uh, that the other oni sorry uh that the other oni don't really enjoy like they might be yeah that's why they they brand him a, her an heretic a heretic yeah i would really like to see some uh maybe some more rakano based oni as they find the rebels as a society that they could ally themselves with and maybe mm. start to take up some of that new technology to fight for their independence. I think they are pretty far away from the Rakana people, though, because, like, the rebellion is led by Ikaria, and, like, a Valkyrie is, like, pretty much on the opposite end of the spectrum from, like, primitive to advanced weaponry, right? That it is. <laughs> that it definitely is. I think they might be, like, thinking of... Ikaria is weak because she needs like additional technical oh, enhancement and she's not strong on her own whereas the the only they seem to like price themselves like with big weapons or like yeah most of them have like giant swords or uh clubs and so I, I'm not sure like they like to follow Ikaria based on that. 
Ricardo Flagbearer is an Oni, though. And he's, he is running under that the Rapano's flag. Right. No, he's a flag bearer of Rapano. So, yeah, um, disregard everything I said. <laughs> well, he could be he could be a vagrant, too. He could be, you know... Yeah, the fire cards have a lot of rebels and people that desert from their own original faction that joins the rebels. Yeah. So, so I, you know, it's, it's definitely possible. Although, according to your drawing, which is, has no 100% basis, it's just like... <laughs> The only wastes are right next to the Rakano rebel territories. Right. So, eh, maybe, maybe there's that. I, I placed those in the west, and so since we are drawing attention to this map, I wanted to bring up something that I debated about while I was drawing it. Okay. Uh, and that is how natural is this is this terrain uh, is Myria, and I had drawn it as sort of a continent with with seas on the sides with connections to other land masses, you know, going east and going south and polar areas up north. But the Shadowlands' influence on all of the different groups in Myria has made me start to wonder if maybe it's... Maybe the Shadowlands is everything else. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You gotta, you gotta hear Rico's theory on Shadowlands. Oh, dude. Yeah. What? So no, I... I... I like for me it sounded very much like the underworld, like from maybe Greek myth- mythology. Oh, so you're seeing it not even as like a physical place? Mm, I'm not sure. Like it might be a physical place, but like, mm, like you know the the river sticks. Yeah, 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 and it's it connects from, you to the underworld. Yeah, I think it might be something like that, like where it is a physical place, but it's not really on the same plane. Maybe. Something about the way that you're traveling gets you there, rather than where you're traveling. Yeah, that might be it. And uh, like for me, like the Shadowlands, they there's certainly something weird going on. Like Isindel is waiting there for people, and he seems to find them. Although the Shadowlands, like they appear to be like vast, they seem to be giant, and somehow Isindel always finds people straying into the Shadowlands, right? So. I think it might be like a magical. It seems to be a magical place, so I'm not sure it's on the same plane of existence. And it might just be something like the the underworld of Greek mythology, as I as I said. Huh. Yeah. So I'd I'd chosen to make it another basically country uh, mm-hmm. here in the same plane because of how how casually people seem to go back and forth, Horus and Vera, and you know. They they travel there, they come back, uh, they go back, and even some like the, the centaurs, the sensari, are said to live out in the Shadowlands as well, which makes me think maybe that's, it's that's a place true. that you can migrate. As I was constructing this map I and laying out things where they they seemed to go based on the characters' journeys and based on the card art uh, tying places together, I started to wonder if maybe... Maybe all of Myria, represented by factions, is a little circular enclave uh, surrounded by the Shadowlands on every side. Yeah, maybe there aren't these oceans like we're seeing, but it it could be it's sort of a a Titans um, Attack on Titan mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. situation where you have Ardenport in the center, you have various other places. You know, you've got some mountains, you got some woods, and then if you go too far in any direction. It's Shadowlands, and I wonder. Okay. Speaking of uh, Attack on Titans, when you guys were talking about 
reviving those Sentinel on, on the Tislayer. I was like, oh my god, that's so Attack on Titan. But I didn't want to bring it up because that seemed too nerdy. But now that we brought it up, uh, yeah, there you go. Now that it's out there. <laughs> I love so, the stone golems. I definitely want to know more about the Felmwood or the Direwood or the, the Elves people. I, I love Elves. And I, coming in set three, we've seen promotional art of Ashara, right? So we know that she's going to be more involved in the story. I like it. It doesn't seem like there's a lot on them, but is there is there anything based on the art or, or story that I've missed? Yeah, so the Lethri, the elves, are primarily forest people, uh, sort of the antithesis to the Huru ninjas. These are also very stealthy, but more dangerous. Um, whereas the Huru will probably, if you walk into their forest and unannounced, they'll capture you and question you and probably let them let you go or let you in. I feel like the Lethri would probably feed you to one of their beasts if they caught you running out of the forest. But it it seems like there's a stark division between those Lethri which have stayed in the Felnwood and the Direwood and those which have gone out into the city uh, with like Ashara and Amethyst Acolyte are both elves with a lot of gear and, you know, pretty fancy clothes who are performing some sort of contract killing. And so I I see them as people who probably comprise a lot of different tribes and who mostly keep to themselves except for for those few which are picked up by the Cabal uh, and recruited, or, or if they go out on their own, I don't know. They seem to be a very proud and, you know, self-promoting sort of people. You've got the Lethri Memory Keeper, which is a flavor-packed name on a terrible card. Um, <laughs> but I think Champion of Cunning being an elf and speaking for the Feln as a whole shows that they, you know, they, they really pride themselves on their ownership of the forest. And those are the, the ones that have gone out into the city are probably not that connected with the rest of the Lethari. Yeah, Shara in particular, she stands out quite a bit because if you look at the arc of all the other elves, all of them are just wearing knives or swords. And she's yeah. the only one uh, like wielding guns. It seems like it's the only situation again, right? Yeah, she seems she seems pretty special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting because she's also like the the top markswoman of the of the entire setting, right? Of the entire Myria. Like she can gun down six people before she takes a shot back. I mean, that's that's rather impressive if you think about it. You know, I feel like she's a lot like Jack. I can't believe we haven't talked about Jack yet, but yeah, let, let's talk about. Ashara you have avoided Jack. talking about Jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jack's a bounty hunter. Ashara is also sent to sent to kill people if it really was her going after Island. They're both five drop six strength dudes with quick draw. I wouldn't be surprised if bounty hunting was a, a relatively common profession in Arjunport and uh, perhaps there are two different approaches at it. She kills her victims and, and if you want them alive, you get Jack. You got a a service for, for any customer. So. Oh yeah, you just go down to the tavern and you pick out whichever bounty hunter suits you needs. Do I want them dead or alive? Do I want them to dodge Torch? Take Jack. Yeah. Let, let's talk about Jack. He used to seem to be a very central focus of the story. You know, we, we are introduced to him very early 
In fact, I think he's the first person we see in the campaign being hung. But since then, we haven't seen too much of him at all. What I'm hoping for Jack is that he he he's in it for himself. He's a bounty hunter. He's his motive is to stay alive and stay out of prison and do whatever jobs he's hired for. But last we saw him, Icaria was saving his life. And Icaria is has thrown her entire self into toppling Roland the, with all the rebels in Azaleo. And my my hope is that she's going to take Jack on a story that he never expected to be a part of because he got his hands in a little bit of everything with going all around and catching dinosaurs and taking out beasts and, you know, beating up minotaurs, doing his odd jobs. And maybe Icaria is going to use his knowledge of the land to help her in her quest against Roland. And then the two fall in love. <laughs> Better love story than Twilight or something like that. It, it would be. It sure would be. Do you think she might hire him to assassinate Roland? That would be interesting. Or even him to take out Makto. Right. Right. I could see. He's one who could end Makto's revenge, right? He for could. Sure, yeah. He could. But yeah, I don't think he would go for taking out Roland. I I feel like Jack would take one look at that job and, and say, I'd be safer if I didn't do that. Right. <laughs> and it doesn't pay enough for me to try that. But, like, Jack could really be the answer to Ikaria's Makto problem, right? She couldn't take care of him herself, but Jack could. Like, in like gameplay-wise, but maybe also story-wise. Yeah, she she has a problem, which is Makto. And, you know, he's, he's messing with her, trying to gather the rebels, keeping her from, I, guess, I think, gathering the critical mass to take over Roland. And so if... If she's going to pick up a random guy getting executed by Roland's men, I feel like she's got to be doing it with a reason. Right. But one thing I, I really do like seeing, too, is in Leave a Witness, the guy who's left crying and kneeling, this might be common knowledge by now, I don't know. It looks a lot like the guy who's going to execute Jack. Oh, yeah. And so I I have to wonder if that's after Icaria is through with Roland's force oh. um, that was sent to kill Jack. Wait, Rigo, did you replay the new campaign? I didn't play all of it. Okay, so what happened for people that haven't played the, the really new campaign? They, they added a little bit more storyline. Like, it starts out with Jack being hung. I believe this soldier that is on Leave a Witness... And at the end of the campaign, spoiler alert, Ikaria swoops in and saves Jack. It also might be leave a witness where, like, Ikaria saves Jack. He could kill the, the soldier, but decides to let him know, let him go back to Roland and be like, yo, my boy Jack is coming for you, or my boy Jack is coming for Makdo, you know? Could be. But I like your theory more. I, w I wonder, yeah, because leaving a witness for the purposes of bragging about a so far underpowered force seems weird to me. It's like, mm -hmm. our two strongest men can take out a few of yours. Like, okay, great, big news, Roland's still going to try and kill you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I maybe, that's, maybe that's just Icaria swooping in, raising uh, the party sent to execute Jack, and then sweeping him away. I wonder if that guy 
I wonder if we're going to see that guy again. Because if he's appear, if he really has appeared on the card and in the campaign, he might well be Roland's next lieutenant, you know, his next Iron Thorn. I mean, I think he's just foot soldier number one, but could be. That's my wild speculation. But this might transform. Like, I mean, he might he might be pretty pissed at Icarian and check. Okay, right? so okay, maybe... I can see that. Yeah. yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I, I was hoping to get a little bit more Jack. Uh, with Horace Traver, but we really got none. It wasn't about him much. Tell me about Spirit of Resistance. What is up with that? Oh my gosh, this card. <laughs> yeah, he was the same card in, I believe, Roland's Choice, wasn't it? It's that, uh, it's that statue. But they had taken down the statue here, right? They're like, they're destroying the Roland statue is what it looks like. Yeah, like they're climbing on Roland's statue, and the guy's wielding a hammer, and I think they're trying to take it down. I don't even know if this card is taking place in the present day, honestly, because Spirit of Resistance is depicting a mob, which mm-hmm. I can only think of is is the city of Argentport. Uh, which... Wait, the way I see it is the Spirit of Resistance is the citizen of Argentport. They're like, nah, man, you can't mess with us. So they come to the statue. They try to take it down, and then guess what? You go to Roland's Choice. All them people dead. Oh, and Roland right. is looking at those people, and then there's a statue standing behind himself with the sword raised. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. If that was maybe Spirit of Resistance is the moment before the Harsh Rule. Yeah, could definitely see that. Yeah, and then you see all the citizens in Roland's Choice, and eh, yeah, it might be. Yeah, I mean. If if we're gonna have a standard citizen be like it is in most games and just be a one one, yeah, but like this is a mob, right? And they like they destroy, like they they devastate the city, like they're destroying all the all the buildings and they're rampaging through the city. So it it would make sense flavor wise. Like as one, they are powerful, but if Roland can can address them all as the individuals, the weak as they are, except when they're united, he can kill them all. I mean, if all the if all the citizens are one ones, like giving all of the <laughs> minus one minus one might destroy the spirit of resistance, right? right? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I had been unsure where to place that card on the timeline, and so I just kind of left it out. But uh, calling that Argentport just before Harsh Rule, I think I think I like that a lot. Well, now it also makes sense why he chose to like kill the resistance instead of making him stronger in the choice. Because if he made himself stronger, he would still only be a nine nine. That's not <laughs> enough enough with <laughs> He had to kill them. He absolutely had to. <laughs> Two more notes on my paper uh, that okay. you know that aren't things that have nothing really to do with anything. And one of those is that the new art or the art for devoted theurge. I just wanted to point this out. Okay. That is a totally different style than yes, anything yes. else we've seen. And I totally want to see some more things like that. I just want to throw that out there. Like, it, it, it always brings about some, some complaints when you have an art style that really differs from the rest in your game. You know, I know in Magic, Rebecca Gwai, as beloved as she is, there are people who don't, don't like her art at all just because of how different it looks. The, whoever did I Devoted Theurge, I want to see some more cards by them. It's more painterly sort of styles. Uh, yeah, this reminds me of something that you see out of the Renaissance, like the art style and stuff. Yeah. Not that I know much about art, but and it's like, I mean, it's it's simplified. I don't know if it's a digital painting uh, or a physical. I would 
you know, the the artist in me who would love to someday do something for DWD hopes that it's physical, but it's probably digital art too. But yeah, just just wanted to throw that out there. And finally, to say that of all of the characters, you know, the unseen aside, the the Lethrai aside, all all the characters that haven't shown up much in the story, I need to know what is up with Diogo Malaga. And I need to see another card with him in it. <laughs> One of my best friends, he loves JoJo. <laughs> and uh, and seeing Diogo, like, I'm, I've only read one JoJo manga. And seeing Diogo, I just instantly think, this is, this is so ridiculous. This is just like that. This is hilarious. And he's fun to play. He's everything I want in a card. And in the story, like, if he's with Evelina on some sort of dinosaur band that would just make my <laughs> life so yeah that's that's all i want to see for step three is dual faction scions some more diogo some more devoted theorage art you got me happy it's funny for me to be here because you're treating me like i'm an expert when really i'm just a guy who really likes to look at art and likes to connect things because he plays too much eternal and so everything that i've been saying it it is up to you whether you you want to buy it or whether you want to formulate your own predictions and, and plans. And I love seeing all the speculation threads on Reddit too about you know this is what I think this means. This is what I want this to be like. Uh, this is how I think maybe we can finally beat Tavrod. Like the more speculation, <laughs> the better. <laughs> I I think regardless of whether our theories are going to be right or wrong, it's just fun to it's look fun. at our art and, and talk about it. No, yeah. actually, there is something I want to talk about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's the Yetis and the Yetis. <laughs> Torgoth. Oh, yeah. Oh, have you seen the blurb about Torgoth's line when you queue yeah, up with them? It's so great. Um, it's Torgoth can sell snow to a Yeti. In fact, he frequently does. <laughs> and if you look at the card art of Swindle, you see Torgov actually uh, trading with some Yeti. Oh, that's hilarious. I hadn't looked at that art. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> oh, um, Cinder Yeti proves that Yeti, are, at least a few of them, are smart enough to get jobs, which kind of baffled me. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's holding a hammer. He's, like, doing stuff. That is... Oh, man. Swindle, though. That's really funny. Oh, I've yeah. never seen that. Yeah, I've never actually made a connection of Swindle. He's actually swindling them yetis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> For sure. Them off. Yeah, like, he's getting a go goblet. He's a and... smart dude, and, like, yetis, they don't seem super smart, so it makes sense he would go trade there. Oh, man. Uh, a short story about him, I think, would be pretty precious. Him and his big bear friend. Wait, he has a bear friend? Yeah, he's got a bear in the background, oh. just like Coastal Brigade. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which... In in my map, I did place Coastal uh, up in the northern mountains too, and I mean, I feel like they have to be the same, uh, the same society. I mean, I guess the Torgov, he, I mean, he's a he's a trader, right? So he does have to move a lot of stuff. So it makes sense that he has some, like some sort of help moving all of that. So maybe the bear <laughs> is just like carrying around stuff for him. Yeah, the bear has a little like mug around its neck, just like the Saint Bernards yeah. oh, used yeah. to have. <laughs> Or is that in the in the swindle card art? You see the snout of the bear. Oh, you totally do. And look at it. Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> you know, when I was thinking of, of 
ideas for uh for the cards that have a nice story that plays out when you play them. I was thinking about Torgov, uh, and trying to figure out like, is there anything that really that really goes in here? Because I was thinking, okay, when he hits the enemy player, uh, it's like he it's sort of like he's trading with another nation. You know, he gets something, he loses something. Yeah. Um, yeah, whenever he gets over there, but then when he gets <laughs> big, once face? you've thrown away a certain number of things, like, is that him amassing enough wealth and being able to hire another bear? I don't know. It might just be like him having gathered enough trading experience, right? Yeah. Oh, he's a he's a pro trader now. All right, guys, so Slindo and, and Torgov aside, that will be the end of this episode for Top Deck Time. Thank you so much, Tendera, for joining us and, you know, spending your time for the research and all that stuff. We had a blast. Um, any final words or any things to look forward to? Or I do want to say I am still working on some things uh, that you guys will hopefully see on the front page of subreddit someday uh, with some art, but... Yeah, life's been crazy. I'm I'm really happy to take a break from that and get to be on with you, Lumi and Rico. Thanks again for having me. Thank you guys for listening to the end. It's been a long episode, but I hope you guys have looked at as much card art as we did and totally enjoyed the episode. But until next time, thank you for listening and stay cool. Bye.